Hi, you're listening to Lavish Hospitality. My name is Kim. Welcome to my table. If you are new here to the podcast and joining us for the summer series, we are talking about our favorite Bible passages or meaningful Bible passages. I mean, if you're like me, kind of have a hard time narrowing down your favorite anything, your favorite kid, (laughs) you're supposed to laugh there, Uh, your favorite date, your favorite book, your favorite song, something like that. So when I ask people to come on and share their favorite Bible passage, I'm asking just for one that's super meaningful to them. It can be maybe one of a lot of favorites that you have. Um, So we are actually taking a little break from that today. But I wanted, especially for those of you who might be new here, I wanted to just take a brief moment to share kind of my my overarching picture for Lavish Hospitality, the podcast. So one of the things that I love to do is practice hospitality. We'll talk about that a little later today. But what I mean by that is having people over and making good food and um, making things pretty for them. Even if it's my family and I want to use a new bowl to put the blue box mac and cheese in. I mean, something like that. So um, what I mean by that for the podcast is something a little deeper. So if you look at scripture you see this idea of, of a meal or a table uh, throughout Scripture. In Genesis, we see the whole world begin in a garden where um, they were given food to eat by a lavish and generous God. Um, when we get to the wilderness, He feeds them every day with manna and Um, He gives them water to drink. They never go hungry in their wilderness journey. Um, When you get to, I mean, you you get to Jesus and you have his, his last words really to the disciples as a group was like, hey, this is my body. It's the bread that is broken for you. Take of it and eat. And then... You have the church starting up in Acts. And one of the things that God tells them to do is participate in the Lord's Supper. And Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians. And it's a place where the body of believers in a local congregation can get together and and re- um, rehearse the gospel by participating regularly in communion and taking of the wine or the juice and the bread to help remember the sacrifice that God made for us. And then you get to Revelation where we're going to sit down as God's guests, his daughters, his sons, and sit down with him and worship with him and eat with him at his table. One of my favorite Bible passages, which I might share next week, is um, the story of David and Mephibosheth in the historical books, where um, I won't go into too much of it, or you won't tune in next week. It's where Mephibosheth gets to sit down at the king's table, 
and how lavish that is. But throughout throughout the Bible, we see God's lavish kindness to us. And that I want to like just pour out of me, whether it's in the art that I do or the home that I make with my husband and my kids or in my parenting or in my Bible teaching or in what I write. So, or even just having people sit down around my table. So that's really what lavish hospitality is, where we just live a lavish, grace-filled life that is centered on the Word of God, seeks to please Jesus because He is um, our Father and our God and our Savior, and we have been bought by the blood of Jesus so that we can live in lavish, generous response to His generous response to us. So on Lavish Hospitality, we really talk about anything, not just food and setting the table. I don't think we've <laughs> talked about setting the table for quite a few episodes. Um, but we talk about what we do in response to God's love for us. So that is really it. And I really want every guest, whether they are physically sitting down around my table or if they are um, across the internet and we're talking via Google Meet, I really pray that they just feel so welcome at my table. And as many of you have said in comments to me, which I love. So if you ever want to leave me a comment or shoot me a text or or shoot me a message on one of the social media channels, please do that. It makes my day to know that you're listening and that something really resonates with you. But a lot of you have said, the conversations that you have make me feel that I am right there at the table with you. And that is one of the best compliments that I could get. So greatly appreciate that. Thank you for listening. If you want to share this podcast with your friends or leave a review, that's one of the best things you can do for a podcaster. So this is one of the most life-giving things I do right now. I love it. I've been doing it a little more than a year. And I love having conversations. I love getting to talk to my friends and new friends. And it's, it's just really a blessing to me. So I'm glad it's a blessing to you as well. So on to today's topic. Few of you, um, or not a few of you, all of you, if you've listened to previous episodes, have listened as we have talked about some books by Justin Whitmull Early. He is a lawyer who lives in Virginia. He has written a couple books. I think there's two. There's probably more coming out soon. I know he's working on one, I think, on friendship. If you follow him on his Instagram, you'll see kind of what he's working on. One is called The Common Rule, which I have read and take, or I've listened to, actually, if I'm being technically honest. Um, it's about five and a half hours to listen to, and I really, really enjoyed it. I have tried at different times to implement some of the things. I do not always succeed in them, but we are pursuing with grace, right? Um, Five common rules. And if you hear that buzzer in the background, it's my oven telling me it's ready for the tater tots. We are having tater tot nachos or tachos as they are called. So we're going to, one of my sons is going to work with me on that as, um, My husband and the other one took the dog to his first vet appointment. Yes, you heard right. We are now dog owners to a 
five-month-old mini Australian Shepherd. So um, that will be that will be just fun excitement. The other book that he has, going back to Justin Wimble early, is called Habits of the Household. And I have not read that, but it's one I need to read. And I recommend both of those to you highly. Just um, the one I have read, I really enjoyed. And the one I have not read, I've seen enough and had other people recommend it to me who I respect on their book choices. So that's why I would highly recommend those, especially if you have a family for the habits of the household. Um, I really would love to get to a point where our family runs a little more liturgically, and I just do not know how that works. Like, we we just have more of a rhythm and a schedule, and I think our rhythm and our schedule is a little crazy. I mean, we have two boys, eight and nine, and we're just a little crazy. And uh, we just need to work on that. So that's something we pursue with Grace as well. But he asked a few weeks ago on Instagram, what are your five life rules? And I never really thought of it, but um, within like a minute, I shot shot him back like a message answer in the little question box in his stories. And I was able to quickly say what my five life rules are. And um, I knew they were my life rules, not because I had called them my life rules before, but that they already hopefully guide my life and what I do. So here we go. I just wanted to walk with you through those and explain why and ask you, what are your life rules? Do you have any? Do you have any thing that governs what you do that says, hey, this is how we're kind of making up our, our lives, and this is how we want to live them. So here is number one. Love God. Love God. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's out of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. It's in the Gospels. I mean, throughout all of time, God asks us to love him. So what should the first life rule of a believer, one who, one who is grounded in Jesus by salvation through Christ alone, through faith alone, what is the first thing that should guide our lives? Love God. What does that entail? It entails loving his people. It entails, one of those is going to church and church is not always going to be easy. If church was always easy, people would go. But church isn't always easy. And that's part of our story where church is hard. And honestly, most Sundays, there's tears in my eyes. So um, for different reasons. But church is not easy. But God wants us to be with his people in his churches. That means loving the word of God. Because if we believe that the Bible is God's very breath to us, telling us how to live in right relationship with him and others, then we need to read it. It's not like a book that we can just put on the shelf and say, oh, somebody wrote this. No, this is the one who created you. And he has 
this great plan for our lives. And we see a lot of that in the Bible and it's perfect. And some of that is going to be things that our culture does not agree with our culture at large. I'm recording this in June and June is pride month. And it is so sad to me, not because I feel like we should hate people, but that so many people think that it's okay to practice any sort of LGBTQIA, whatever, that is not God's design for sex and marriage and personhood. He created us, male and female. He says that in Genesis 1. So we need to love those just like Jesus did. He loved sinners, but he never said, hey, remain as you are because you're a sinner and you don't need to change at all. He welcomes us in and tells us, I love you and I have a greater plan for your life to live according to my rules and my love and my grace. So love God. The second one is to love others. And that kind of coincides with number one. But um, my friend has a podcast called Real Life Conversations. I think that's what it's called. It's always downloaded on my phone on Wednesdays, but I will link it in the show notes. But she always asks two questions, um, and they're based out of Matthew. Um, and I'll link that in there where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So those are God's two greatest commandments. Love God, love others. I created a sticker Um, How that stuck in my head was I had a pastor, a centrifuge pastor, when I was on staff with Centrifuge, which is a Southern Baptist youth camp, back in 2001 and 2002. But he was my camp pastor in 2002. His name, um, I am drawing a blank on his name, Richter, Tom Richter. There we go, Tom Richter. He is now, I do believe, still the pastor of First Baptist Coleman, Alabama, where my family is from. Um, but anyway, he always, he's like this six foot five guy, basketball, like huge guy. And he would get up there and do these arm motions straight up in the air with one hand, love God, and then put the other one straight out. Like he's handshaking, love God, love others, love God, love others. And that's what he always did. And the kids remembered that all the time. Our vertical relationship with God impacts our horizontal relationship with others, whether that is our spouse's whether that is our children, whether that is our neighbors or the people we see at the grocery store or the people we see at church, the people we see at our kids' school or the neighborhood pool in the summer. Those those two things, love God, love others, should guide our lives. Number three, these are the three that, I mean, one of them is a command of Scripture But really, these three, I mean, they could be anything. But I hope those first two, love God, love others. It's kind of overarching if you're a believer. But number three, seek beauty. And here's what I don't mean by that. Kind of 1 Peter 3S that Jacqueline and I talked about last week. But I'm not talking about, oh, I want the pretty earrings, or I've got to have a certain dress code or apparel or makeup on. I watch these reels and TikTok videos that get sent to my Facebook or Instagram where the ladies are putting the dots of dark and then the dots of light. And then it's like filter and here's beauty. 
I'm not talking about that kind of beauty. A few years ago, my word for the year, if you ever do those, was beauty. And it really helped me to focus that year on where I find beauty. Do I find beauty in um, the food I cook, like a loaf of bread and how you have the crusty top and the split down and and um, I know it probably has a technical name, but or the fruit salad with all the colors or the beautiful cake with the ribbons of buttercream and how they fold or the art I do for other people or the art I see that other people do and bless us with or the trees or the beach. I went to Tybee this weekend with with my older son and just the beauty of the waves and the beauty of of the shells that we found. And some of them we found this weekend were smaller than the eraser of a pencil. And I could barely pick it up with my fingers because they were so little. And they were so pretty. And the sky of the storm coming in as we were driving back over towards Savannah and the rain, just the beauty everywhere. I mean, Psalm 19 talks about that, of just the heavens declare the glory of God and the the nations and the the stars and the skies present his handiwork and it's beautiful. And there's beauty in people. There is beauty in nature. There's beauty in food. There's beauty in design and art and reflection and books and thought. There's beauty in everything. And so one of the things that I've done for the last couple of years is, is, Want, I want to guide my eyes toward beautiful things. And again, I'm not talking about what the world considers beautiful. Those could be it. But I'm really talking about the things that God has made or that he has allowed his creative image bearers to make that we get to see. And it may not always be beautiful. And let me explain that. Like a hard situation may not look beautiful, but I've asked the Lord, help me to see beauty in this. Like that Japanese art of something broken and they fill it with gold. And then it's this beautiful piece of pottery again. And just just trying to navigate the brokenness of this world with beauty. Okay, number four. This may sound a little bit um, like this podcast, but practice hospitality. There have been times in my life where I greatly remember um, the lack of hospitality by others. And I'm not saying that because, oh, I always practice it so well. There have been times where I have failed miserably at practicing hospitality to the people in my own home. And I remember those failures a lot. But I, I want people to walk into my home or sit down with me at a coffee shop and say, just being around you says welcome. Like, really, I want my home to say, hey, you know what? It's cozy here. Stay a while. No matter what you've done, you're welcome. I mean, I'm not, especially as welcoming believers. I mean, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're a believer, Um but there's a thing of saying, hey, you're sinning, and I have a relationship with you, and I don't want to see you continue walking in sin. How can I help you? How can I help you see that God is more beautiful than your sin? 
and that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. But you're still welcome in my home, and I want to help you. I want to help you love Jesus more. I want to help you see that you are loved already by the king of the universe. So some people say when you welcome sinners in that you're condoning what they're doing. And I don't want to ever condone sin because God doesn't tell us to condone sin. He tells us to love him and seek him. And there's, I think I was listening to a Ray Ortland podcast today. Luke 17 says um, something about like, if a brother, if you see a brother sinning, rebuke him. And if he c- repents, then forgive him. And he just broke that. I think it's Luke 17, three, but um, anyway, we, we aren't supposed to let people keep walking in sin and habitual unrepentant sin is what I would, how I would define it. Um, but you're always welcome at our table. And Eric and I want to live that way in our lives, like have people in our homes and no matter what they've done to welcome them. And there have been times that we would not be welcome at people's tables, or there would be such hostility or animosity or, or rebuke there and hatred. I don't mean the Ray Orland, like biblical rebuke. I just mean the, um, you're not perfect. You can't be here type, um, hostility and rebuke, but practice hospitality. I do believe it's in first Peter, but I might be wrong. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, But the Bible says, practice hospitality. That's what we're supposed to do. We don't have to be deacons or elders or pastors or leaders. Everybody live a life that says, welcome. I have a sign up on, up. it's a wooden sign up on my shelf in my office that I'm looking at. It says, gather small, linger deep. And that is what I love. I I do not want to go to a huge, massive event where I'm just participating in it. It's better if I'm leading (laughs) leading it or having a a purpose or function, but it's really out of my comfort zone to go to anything more than like 10 or 15 people. Now I'm definitely more of an introvert, but get me one-on-one or one-on-two or a really small group sitting around a table. And I thrive there because I can have conversations and I can linger deep. I don't ask, ask any of my friends. I am not a pithy conversation, chit chat, um, a person. I definitely want those deeper conversations where we're sitting around talking about what God is doing, what's going on in our lives, not just saying, Hey, how are you? I'm great. You know, that Southern slang we do. Um, but that's number four, number five, travel the world. Something my dad instilled in me early on was this love of travel. And I remember um, going to, I grew up in Florida. I remember even like four or five, we went to, we road tripped to South Dakota because this was in the, the early eighties, um, like 81, maybe 82, where we went to South Dakota from central Florida. That was a long drive. And then I know we went on a Midwest road trip through Nebraska and Kentucky and all those places. We flew to California in third grade. I flew to Chicago with him on a business trip in third grade. Um, I went, I was a Girl Scout in seventh grade or summer before seventh grade. I went to Breckenridge, Colorado on a wider opportunity with my Girl Scout leader and just 
all of these things. We went to Vogel State Park in North Georgia every summer for vacation. I was out on the Swanee River with my papa, like just fishing from an early age until high school. So those were all parts of the world that I saw. When I graduated seminary, I went to D.C. for the first time, fell in love with that. Um, shortly after 9-11, I went to New York for the first time, fell in love with New York. My husband and I go often. Um, in in um, high school, right after I graduated high school, I went to Costa Rica, and then I went to Russia once for a week and, and once for a month before I started college and just man, saw more of the world and just fell in love with the beauty of the world and the beauty of the people that God created throughout the world. Um, while I was doing ministry at a church in Durham, I went to Indonesia. I went to Thailand. I went to New York. I went to Alaska with another church in North Carolina. Man, that's the most beautiful place I've ever been to in the world so far. <laughs> I hope I'm not done traveling the world. But Eric has also been to several countries, more countries than I have, just on mission trips. Um, but that is something both of us love to do. We have not been able to do as much of it being married because we had kids right away, and that equals more money when you travel. And just more difficulties traveling with more people. It's always easier to travel by yourself, but definitely not as fun. Um, or for me, I have found that even though I still love to travel, I really want to travel with my, with my husband at least. Cause otherwise I just want to sit there and tell him about everything. If I could just keep him on, on speakerphone almost the whole time, then that'd be okay. Cause I could describe to him what I'm seeing, but I really just want him there to experience it with me and my kids as well. Um, Eric and I took a two week road trip up the East coast into Prince Edward Island for our honeymoon we have we have taken even little road trips ourselves, even during our dating time, which was only four months. We went out to the coast of North Carolina. We went to the early state capital of North Carolina. We went to Kentucky for a for a funeral. There were there were so many things that we did where we just were out in nature and saw and did and traveled. And any time we get to do it, we love it. Um, we went to New York again for his work, but then just for ourselves, that we stayed a little bit longer. I'm taking my son on his 10-year birthday trip down um, to South Georgia to a state park and then out to Cumberland Island for the Cumberland Island National Seashore for his birthday. Just I want to instill in my boys a love of travel, too, and not just so they can say, hey, I chalked another, I put a little pin in a map saying I've been there, but and I'm not saying I want to travel the world and do missions. That, I mean, that's hard. And I'm not saying that's the only way I would ever want to go. But what a great reason to be able to see the world is to be able to do missions if you're there. And tell other people about that their beauty is founded in God's great beauty. But I really, I really love to travel. And I want to instill that in my boys as well. If I live to be 50, I'm 45. If I live to be 50, I've said I wanted to go to Maine and do like the lighthouses of Maine. And my son keeps talking about that all the time. Like he wants to go to Maine too, to see the lighthouses and see the coast. Um, we didn't spend enough time in Maine and in our honeymoon or on our honeymoon. And I said, if I had all the money in the world and just to be able to take trips like some people can, and it's so hard to see people travel when that's such a desire of yours and 
you just don't have the funds or the time. It's hard. And I have to remember and, and be grateful and be happy for those who get to travel and be grateful for the times that I get to travel and not compare. Um, but I told my son Elijah that if I had all the money in the world, I'd take him to, a, to Africa and stay in a hotel where the giraffes come or the lions come and just to see all the animals that they love so much. And I think I would take Eric to Alaska in a heartbeat. And um, I would take Sebastian also to Africa to see the giraffes because he loves them. His little lovey is a giraffe. So anyway, all that. I just wanted to kind of lay out life rules so you, so you understand me and our family a little bit more. Um, but also just maybe they will inspire you to think through some of the rules that you want to guide your life. So again, those life rules are love God, love others, seek beauty, practice hospitality, and travel the world or see the world. Just see God's glorious creation and praise him because of it. So that is the podcast today. Just spent some time on my Monday afternoon talking with y'all. So I hope that these will make you think and will encourage you and you'll have a little better understanding of who your podcast host is. And if you ever want to hop on here and chat with me, I would love to chat with you. And until then, until next week, I will talk to y'all later.